It is a cold winter night in the city of Beijing in 1948. The streets are empty and quiet, save for the sounds of the icy winds, which drop snow onto the roofs of the houses and the streets of the city. There is not a single soul walking around the streets. I mean, who would in this freezing cold winter? No one, that is. Except for a young woman, who is walking hurriedly down a dark alley, shivering in the cold despite wearing multiple layers. The young twenty-four-year-old woman then reaches a park, where she sees a man standing inside a pavilion in the middle of the park. The young woman walks to the man and approaches him, and then they begin a conversation. The man says, "Look at this amazing city, five thousand years of history. I look at these ancient buildings, the Forbidden City, the Temple of Heaven, Yihuyuan, and it really makes me proud of what my ancestors have done." The young woman replies, "I agree. It would be a shame if this city was destroyed by the flames of battle." The man. Turns to the young twenty-four-year-old, stares at her intently for a moment, then asks, "Dongju, is there any way to convince your father to stop the fighting?" The young woman sighs, tilts her head to look at the starlit sky, and then replies, "I'll try. I'll try." G'day, everyone. I'm your host Stephen, and welcome to the Bamboo History Podcast. For those of you who don't know what the Bamboo History Podcast is, it is a podcast about Chinese and East Asian history. If you like this type of content, please subscribe to my podcast right now, and also follow my Instagram at Bamboo History Podcast. Today's episode is part three of a three-part series of the three decisive military campaigns of the Chinese Civil War. We'll be talking about the third and final decisive military campaign fought between the Chinese Communists and the Nationalist Kuomintang Party. So, for all the listeners that are getting sick of listening about warfare, well, we're almost there. Final part. Today, we'll be talking about. The Pingjing Campaign. So yeah, let's just get straight into it. To help you all understand the movements of the armies in this campaign, I have drawn a simple diagram for you to use as a reference, which will be posted on my Instagram. The Pingjing Campaign, Pingjing spelt P-I-N-G-J-I-N. Is named after the two cities in North China where the campaign was mainly fought around. The two cities were Beiping, spelt B-E-I-P-I-N-G, and Tianjin, spelt T-I-A-N-J-I-N. Beiping was the name of the city Beijing at that time, which, as you know, is currently the capital of the People's Republic of China. Whilst at the time in 1948 the city was called Beiping, for the purposes of making everything easier to understand this episode, I'll refer to Beiping as its current name, Beijing, which is spelt B-E-I-J-I-N-G, 
At the time, Beijing was the headquarters of the nationalist armies in North China. Now, I will provide a geographic overview of the North China region. North China, or in Chinese known as Huabei, is an area centered mainly around the cities of Beijing and Tianjin. To the northwest of North China lies a region presently called Inner Mongolia. But at the time, Inner Mongolia was called Suiyuan, S-U-I-Y-U-A-N. And to the northeast of the North China region was Northeast China, which we covered in the Liaoshan campaign episode. The North China region also included the present-day province of Shanxi, spelt S-H-A-N-X-I, which was to the west of Beijing and Tianjin. And to the south of the North China region were the provinces of Henan and Shandong, which, as you know from my previous episode of the Huaihai campaign, they were already in communist hands at the time. The nationalist forces in North China were commanded by General Fu Zuoyi, Fu Zuoyi spelt F-U-Z-U-O-Y-I. Now, I want to talk a bit about the life of this man, Fu Zuoyi. Because knowing who he was is important in understanding the final outcome of this campaign. Fu Zuoyi was a native of Shanxi province, and he was born in 1895. When he was young, he joined the Shanxi army, which was an army led by a warlord named Yan Shishan. Yan Shishan spelt Y-A-N-X-I-S-H-A-N. And Fu Zuoyi quickly rose up the ranks in the Shanxi army, and he played a big role in developing the Inner Mongolian region, particularly the part called Suiyuan. During World War II, in order to fight the Japanese, the Shanxi army, including Fu Zuoyi, were incorporated into the nationalist army, and Fu Zuoyi became a nationalist soldier and commander. He fought the Japanese alongside the communists in the Inner Mongolia region during World War II, and he made some friends with the communist generals that he had fought with. When World War II ended, Fu Zuoyi was made the commander of the North China region by the nationalist leader and the president of China at the time, Jiang Jieshi, spelt J-I-A-N-G-J-I-E-S-H-I. Many listeners might know Jiang Jieshi as Chiang Kai-shek, but in this episode, I'll refer to him as Jiang Jieshi, which is the Mandarin Chinese pronunciation of his name. So why am I talking about all this background? Well, unlike the Communist Party and their army, which were a united entity, the nationalists were fragmented. And the reason why they were fragmented was, prior to the establishment of the nationalist control of China, China was ruled by many different warlords with their own armies, after the fall of the imperial Qing dynasty in 1912. The nationalists were able to take control of all of China by defeating some of these warlords, but also incorporating others into the nationalist ranks in order to avoid having to fight them to the death to destroy them. One of the armies that got incorporated was Yan Shishan's Shanxi army, and that included Fu Zuoyi. Hence, you would have some nationalist armies that were loyal through and through with the nationalists and Jiang Jieshi, whilst you'd also have other armies like the Shanxi army, who, 
were technically nationalists, but they weren't fully loyal to the nationalists due to their warlord history. And Fu Zuoyi fit into the second category, and this point will be very important later on. In late 1948, the communists had a presence in North China already. They were organised as the Northern China Military Region, or known in Chinese as Huabei Junchu. This communist military region had a few armies operating in North China at the time. The Communist People's Liberation Army, or PLA for short, the first army was led by Xu Xiangqian, and he was laying siege to Yan Shishan's army at Taiyuan, Taiyuan spelt T-A-I-Y-U-A-N, which was the capital of the Shanxi province. The PLA Second Army was in an area southwest of Beijing, doing some R&R rest and recuperation at that time. The PLA Third Army was in Inner Mongolia at that time, attacking Fu Zuoyi's troops in the city of Guisui, G-U-I-S-U-I, which is the present-day city of Huhehaute, the capital of Inner Mongolia. There was also the Northeast PLA 4th Field Army, which had sent a vanguard army into North China, and they had set up a base in Ji County, Ji spelt J-I, which was a place only 100 kilometers from the cities of Beijing and Tianjin, the nationalist bases. So you've got the Northern China military region, which was the communist presence, in North China already. Well, to make things worse for Fu Zuoyi, when the communists won decisively in the Liaoshan campaign and wiped out the nationalists there, that added another 1 million communist troops from the northeast that could sweep into North China and destroy Fu Zuoyi's troops. Fu Zuoyi was worried, so he met up with Jiang Jieshi to discuss the next steps. Eventually, they decided that they would need to consolidate their power around the largest cities in that region at that time, which was Beijing, Tianjin, and Zhangjiakou. Zhangjiakou, spelt Z-H-A-N-G-J-I-A-K-O-U. And some of your listeners might be familiar with Zhangjiakou because it was one of the cities that hosted a lot of the events in the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. By consolidating power around these three cities, that meant they would have to retreat all of their troops from other places, and that involved abandoning a lot of other smaller cities in North China. So they began carrying out this plan in mid-November 1948. Remember, from the 2nd of November 1948, the Liaoshan campaign ended, and within a couple weeks' time, the nationalists in North China began retreating all of their forces into those three cities. But by retreating their armies to these select cities, that worried the communists as well. The communist leadership group under Mao Zedong, spelled M-A-O-Z-E-D-O-N-G, believed that if the nationalists consolidated in these areas, that meant if they wanted to retreat, for example, by sea through Tianjin or west through Inner Mongolia, they could do so without losing many of their men. Hence, To prevent this situation happening, the communist leadership group ordered the northern China military region to launch an attack on Fu Zuoyi's troops, and then ordered the northeast field army under Lin Biao 
to march immediately south into North China to join the battle. So at this time, the PLA 4th Field Army had just won a big battle at Liaoshen. They were still resting and recuperating at the moment, but Mao Zedong said to Lin Biao, Stop resting. Stop recuperating. You gotta pack up your bags, and we gotta leave now. We gotta reinforce North China. So, the Pingjing Campaign on the 29th of November 1948 had begun. So first off, the PLA 3rd Army, who was attacking Fuzhou's troops in Inner Mongolia, they left Inner Mongolia, headed down south and attacked the city of Zhangjiakou on the 29th of November 1948, encircling and besieging the city on the 2nd of December. In response, Fu Zhuoyi ordered his 104th army to march from a town near Beijing called Huailai to reinforce Zhangjiakou. And then, he ordered his most elite 35th army to march from Beijing to reinforce Zhangjiakou. Fu Zhuoyi's mentality at that time was to try and crack down on the communist northern China military region troops first, before the reinforcements from the northeast joined in the fight. However, unbeknownst to Fu Zhuoyi, by sending his two armies to reinforce Zhang Jiakou, he'd actually walked straight into a trap. The communist plan to attack Zhang Jiakou, which was 200 kilometers away from Beijing and the furthest city away from Beijing, was actually a plan to draw the nationalist reinforcements away from Beijing. As soon as those two nationalist armies left Beijing to reinforce Zhang Jiakou, the other communist armies leapt into action. The PLA 2nd Army, which had been resting in the mountains, leapt out of nowhere and advanced to a place south of a town called Zhuolu, which was a town only 150 kilometers northwest of Beijing. The Vanguard Army from the Northeast Field Army also advanced from Ji County and captured the town of Miyun, a hundred kilometers northeast of Beijing. With two communist armies so close to Beijing in the northwest and the northeast, Fu Zhuoyi panicked, and he realized that by sending his two armies away, Beijing might be in danger and at risk of being attacked from both sides and besieged. Hence, he immediately ordered the 35th Army and the 104th Army to retreat back to Beijing to shore up its defences. As the 35th Army retreated back to Beijing via armoured trucks, they continually met resistance from the Communist Blockade Brigade, which slowed their retreat back to Beijing and gave time for the main PLA 2nd Army, which had been near Zhuolu, to change course and catch up with the 35th Army, and they trapped the Nationalist 35th Army in a small town called Xin Bao An, spelt X-I-N-B-A-O apostrophe A-N, on the 9th of December 1948. The 104th Army and another Nationalist Army, the 16th Army, attempted to rescue the 35th Army. But when the PLA Northeast Vanguard Army arrived to the party, the Nationalist 16th Army panicked and retreated back to Beijing, afraid of being wiped out by the Communists. The remaining 104th Army was left to fight with both the PLA 2nd Army and the Vanguard Army, 
and was wiped out on the 11th of December 1948. Meanwhile, around the same time, the PLA 4th Field Army had marched into North China to enter the battle. Their commander, Lin Biao, L-I-N-B-I-A-O, immediately got to work, dispatching his armies to secure cities and towns around Beijing and Tianjin to create a large encirclement in order to prevent Fu Zuoyi and the nationalist troops from escaping, and this strategy was akin to trapping a bird in its cage. With the communists occupying all the surrounding areas around Beijing and Tianjin and Zhangjiakou, all that was left to do for the communists was to launch their attack. On the 21st of December 1948, the PLA 2nd Army launched an attack on the Nationalist 35th Army at Ximbao'an after surrounding them for almost two weeks. After nine hours of fierce fighting, the PLA eventually took Ximbao'an and wiped out Fu Zuoyi's most elite 35th Army. The commander of the 35th Army, Guo Jingyun, committed suicide. Two days later, on the 23rd of December 1948, the trapped nationalist soldiers in Zhangjiakou attempted to break out of the communist encirclement. And after one day of fighting, the PLA destroyed the nationalist soldiers in Zhangjiakou and captured the city on the 24th of December 1948. With Zhangjiakou captured, the only cities that the nationalists controlled were Beijing and Tianjin. Now, let's talk about Tianjin first. Tianjin is a large city near Beijing that is situated near the Bohai Sea. The original plan of the PLA 4th Field Army was to capture the port of Tanggu, which was 40 kilometers east of Tianjin and on the coast. They wanted to capture Tanggu because they wanted to block any potential attempt by the nationalists to escape by sea. But the communists quickly scrapped that idea when they found out the area around Tanggu was riddled with water channels and marshy swamps which meant it wasn't easy for a large army like the 4th Field Army to launch a full-scale attack. Hence, they changed their minds and decided to attack Tianjin instead. There were a total of 130,000 nationalist defenders in the city of Tianjin, and they were led by a man called Chen Changjie, spelt C-H-E-N-C-H-A-N-G-J-I-E, and the nationalists had heavily fortified the city and they were ready to defend the city to their last breath. The communist PLA 4th Field Army deployed a force of 340,000 troops, with the attack on Tianjin led by Commander Liu Yalou, spelt L-I-U-Y-A-L-O-U. Liu Yalou at first tried to convince Chen Changjie to surrender, so that Tianjin would be spared from bloodshed, but every time Liu Yalou tried to convince Chen Changjie, Chen Changjie refused to surrender every time. That left the communists with no choice. They would have to attack Tianjin and take the city by force. The urban layout of Tianjin is shaped like a crescent, such that the city has a long north-to-south span, but it has a very short east-to-west span, 
Liu Yalo decided to use the short east-to-west span of Tianjin to his advantage, and deployed his armies such that they could attack Tianjin from the east and the west sides, rather than from the north and the south. On the 14th of January 1949, the communists launched their final assault on Tianjin, and they encountered fierce resistance from the nationalist defenders, and both sides engaged in urban warfare in the streets of Tianjin. Eventually, after 29 hours of fighting, the communist soldiers completely annihilated the nationalist defenders and captured Tianjin, and in the process, they captured the nationalist commander Chen Changjie. By capturing Tianjin and Zhang Jiakou, the communists were now surrounding Beijing on all sides, and that made Fu Zuoyi really scared. Scared that Beijing would be attacked next. But was Beijing really going to be attacked? There were 250,000 nationalist soldiers defending Beijing. But the communists outnumbered them and had them surrounded at all directions. In theory, it would have been very easy for the communists to attack and take Beijing by force. But the communist leadership group wanted to take, capture or liberate, call it as you will, the city peacefully without bloodshed. That was because Beijing was, and is, a city with important cultural and historical significance. As you know, the city had been China's imperial capital for over 500 years, and had many ancient buildings that would have been destroyed if a fight took place. I mean, for example, the Forbidden City in Beijing. It's one of the most famous landmarks in Beijing. It's a vast palace complex that attracts heaps of tourists from all over the place nowadays to visit. It's quite possible then that if a battle took place in Beijing, then places like the Forbidden City would have been destroyed. The communists recognised this and began talks with Fu Zuoyi and the nationalists for them to surrender the city and transfer it to the communists peacefully. On the other hand as well, Jiang Jieshi and the nationalist government in Nanjing was also trying to convince Fu Zuoyi to not lay down arms to the communists, and they tried to convince him instead to try and break out of the communist lines with his army and retreat south to rejoin the other nationalist forces. Fu Zuoyi then was at a crossroads. Surrendering to the communists was something that Fu Zuoyi was definitely considering at this point, especially after Tianjin had been taken by the communists, which effectively blocked one of his escape and retreat routes. Fu Zuoyi knew that it was unrealistic as well to continue resisting the communists, as his army was outnumbered and surrounded. Not to mention the fact that if he refused to surrender, then if he fought in Beijing and Beijing was destroyed, the destruction of such a historical and culturally rich city could be on his hands. I mean, that's a legacy I don't think him nor any one of us would want to bear. Moreover, and this is where my brief intro on his life earlier comes into play, he wasn't a die-hard loyalist to Jiang Jieshi, Remember, he was originally part of the Shanxi army. And hence, the communists knew that it would be easier to sway Fu Zuoyi into laying down arms, rather than fight to the death for the nationalists. And so, 
Eventually, on the 21st of January 1949, after over a month of talks, Fu Zuoyi agreed to sign a peace settlement with the communists, agreeing to lay down arms and surrender Beijing to the communists. And on the 31st of January 1949, Fu Zuoyi's army exited Beijing and switched garrisons with the PLA soldiers who then entered the city. And so, with the transfer of the city of Beijing to the communists, the Pingjing campaign officially came to an end. The only other major city in North China that was still in nationalist control was Taiyuan, which had been under siege from the PLA First Army since October 1948. It would have to take the communists another few months until the 25th of April 1949 before the nationalists at Taiyuan surrendered to the communists. My personal opinion of the peaceful transfer of Beijing to the communists is this. No matter who you support, whether it be the communists or the nationalists, as a passionate, albeit amateur historian like myself, the decision to not fight in Beijing was a good one, because in the end, history won. And thanks to both the decisions of the communists and Fu Zuoyi, we can marvel at the ancient Chinese architectural wonders in the city today. The Pingjing campaign might seem as a bit of an afterthought, considering the total war we witnessed last week with the Huaihai campaign. But in my opinion, the Pingjing campaign was still very important. For the communists, at least, this was a big win, especially if you consider the fact that Beijing was in their hands after this campaign. Up until this point, the communist leadership group, which consisted of people like Mao Zedong, Zhou Enlai, Zhu De, Liu Shaoqi, Ren Bishi, etc., they were based in a small mountain village called Xi Bai Po, which was very remote and deep in the mountains. Xi Bai Po spelt X I B A I P O. But after Beijing was transferred over to the communists, a bit over a month after, the communist leadership group packed up their bags and left Xi Bai Po, arriving at their new headquarters in Beijing in March 1949. It is from Beijing that the communists proclaimed the founding of the People's Republic of China on the 1st of October 1949, with Beijing as its capital city, and it still is today. These three decisive military campaigns, the Liaoshan Campaign, the Huaihai Campaign, and the Pingjing Campaign, aren't widely known outside of China, but these three campaigns are an important reason why the People's Republic of China was founded in 1949, and why the nationalists are currently on the island of Taiwan. The communist victories of these three campaigns ruined any chance for Jiang Jieshi and the nationalists to take control of China ever again. The victory of the Pingjing campaign also solidified communist control of northern China, and limited the nationalist sphere of influence to only southern China and parts of northwest China. All the communists needed to do then was to make a final push to these remaining parts of China, which they did. But that's a story for another day. <sighs> so yeah, that's it. 
That is the end of the three-part series of these three decisive military campaigns of the Chinese Civil War. I really hope you all enjoyed this three-part series. Remember, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and follow my Instagram to continue your support of this podcast. If you have any comments, topic suggestions, or just want to have a chat with me, please DM me on my Instagram or email me. I'll leave the details in the description box below. Lastly, to all your listeners, thanks again for your continued support. Okay now, time to go. Thanks everyone for listening. Have an awesome rest of the day or evening, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now.